Hajime Mashte. Mato to Patriku des. Yoroshiku Onagai Shimas. Koriwa Pure Tokyo Scope des. Yoroshiku ne. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Pure Tokyo Scope podcast. I am Patrick Macias, the author of Tokyo Scope blog. And I am Matt Ald, who brings the pure in the title from Pure Invention How Japan Made the Modern World, the book, and now the newsletter. I thought it was pure, but it was gold cane flower. I'm I'm very pure at heart. I'm I'm a I'm a pure person as you know from our many conversations. And today is a very pure topic, is it not? It is actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about a movie that is no longer in the Japanese top 10. We're talking about Bobby. Bobby? Bobby? Barbie. Yes. You may have heard of it. It was a movie. It was also, I believe it was a toy series or something. Yeah, I feel like we're already living like in a post-Barbie society. <laughs> You know, you know, Barbie might seem like a little bit of a strange topic for us to pick up here at Pure Tokyo Scope. You know, we're usually talking about boys' toys, like Kaiju and the Transformers and Chogokin and Boglins. Do Boglins count as boys' toys? Are Boglins like ghoulies? Are they? I, I always get confused. Hi, I'm a Boglin. Me and my buddies want to be your friend, right, guys? Right. right. Call us at one 5464 and hear how we can protect you from ferocious beasts. <laughs> And help you teach a great math test. Yeah, new story every day. One call gets you a 3D Boglin hologram like this. Four calls get you a set of six. Trade them with your buddies. And part of your $2.35 two-minute call goes to Special Olympics. So get your parents' permission and call us at 1-900-909-5464. Go get the phone. I said get it, not eat it. But there is kind of one toy line to rule them all, uh, Mattel's Barbie series. And that's what we want to talk about a little bit here. Not the toy series itself, but its origins in Japan, which I don't think many people in the West are really aware of. Were you aware of it, Patrick? I was not, but I'm very anxious to cash in on this whole Barbie thing while there's still some life in it. So it opened, the movie opened in Japan, what, like mid last month, like mid July, early July? It opened August 11th in Japan and it debuted at number seven. And the next week it was number eight. And now I think we are in its third week of release and it's no longer in the top 10. So Barbie did not perform as well as it did in the US despite massive promotional campaigns. I don't think, well, massive promotional campaigns in the US and massive- No, in Japan, if you went to Shibuya during the weeks leading up to Barbie, there was Barbie crap all over the place. You yes. couldn't avoid it. But you know, in the States, of course, Barbie benefited from the Barbenheimer meme boom, which uh, probably needs not much introduction here, but over the course of the summer, fans were mashing up imagery from uh, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, which is about uh, the nuclear scientist who uh, headed the Manhattan Project, and Barbie. And that kind of incongruous, meme stuff drove a lot of fans into theaters. It never got old, Matt. It never got old. That's the thing about Barbenheimer. And the thing is, like, now it's so dead. It's like an internet without Barbenheimer memes now. And it's it's kind of, I'm kind of enjoying it. it. It kind of felt like memes 101, like, for people who weren't really, like, maybe were new to the internet, like, zillennials and stuff. People who were new to the idea of a nuclear holocaust, perhaps. <laughs> Is not funny. Too soon. Like the the mashing up of two totally you know random and congruous ideas is kind of the fundament of a meme. Like a cat playing the piano, or a guy singing about chocolate rain. Exactly. That's there's nothing incongruous about chocolate rain, Patrick. How dare you? How dare you? Oh, is that someone's a, is ringing that, the doorbell. I can't. Is that chocolate that. rain? Is that the chocolate Tay rain? Zande? Guy? Tay Zande. Tay Zande. We need to have him on here. Hold on. Uh, I have to I have to move away from the mic to take a breath. Can you hold on a second? <laughs> 
Who's at the door right? Oh, I gotta get. <laughs> Who is it? Hold on, hold on, hold on. On this special episode of Pure Tokyo Scope, Patrick encounters a foe that he has never before seen. A person at his door. What could possibly be happening next? Need the Mission Impossible countdown here. Dun, 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 dun. Is he getting a mission that he can choose to accept? Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. Did you did you did you accept the mission? Okay, sorry did, about that. Cool. Did, did the mission? Did, did you get the mission? And then like it blew up in your hands after you read it? No, it was it was Kuro Neko Yamato, and I said, "Yo, come back when you got Uchu Senkan Yamato," and slammed <laughs> the door in his face. Was it was it a little Japanese girl on a broomstick who like floated down from the heavens with your with your delivery? Was she a witch? Did she curse you? You know, what is the point of a witch delivery service if you can't deliver curses to your enemies? Like, I, you know, you want to put a hex on someone. Like, she's delivering, like, pies and things like that. That's not why I hire witches, baby. That's not why I hire witches. Hayao Miyazaki's next movie is going to be about, like, a wacky drone, like, in a dress that flies <laughs> around and delivers, I don't know. Amazon's delivery service? It doesn't, it doesn't quite have the same ring to it, does it? When Jeff Bezos wearing, like, a maid's outfit comes to your door with your package? So, speaking of people wearing dresses let's get back to the topic oh hand. barbie barbie oh, yeah that's right barbie. i love barbie. talking about barbie matt so barbie is an invention of who patrick the mattel corporation if it's mattel it's swell that's what i was taught ever since i was uh, consciously aware of television talk to me about what you know about mattel patrick what do you what is your favorite mattel toy line my favorite mattel toy line is got to be the shogun warriors because that was really the first time like in the late 1970s when i discovered and got my hands on real japanese toys which were the super robots, and then later some of the vehicles like the Liabe from Message from Space. These were sold in uh, toy stores all across America. And of course, there were commercials on TV that uh, drove me wild with desire. You can pretend you're a Shogun warrior on an impossible mission. I am Daimos. Daimos has leg missiles. Daimos, behind you. And missiles. I am Great Mazinga. Great Mazinga has three knuckle rockets you can launch. I am Guy King. Guy King has chest rockets. And fist. He needs help. There. Mission accomplished. Daimos, Great Mazinga, and Guy King, each sold separately, not for use with other toys from the Shogun Warrior collection from Mattel. I mean, Mattel was the purveyor of most of my childhood dreams in the States, uh, especially in the late 70s. You had like, they were making all the Battlestar Galactica toys too. That's right. Do yeah. you know? Yeah, the gold Cylon, Lucifer, Imperious Leader. Well, I thought you were going to say, Patrick, I was I was going to swear you were going to say that your favorite Mattel toy line was Avatar The Last Airbender. Did they do that? They did, I'm sure. Like, you know, they did it. They do everything. You know, I mean, they did the Cabbage Patch Kids. Masters of the Universe. Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, which I think No way. Made- Mattel was Captain Power? I know at least one insane Japanese Captain Power otaku who's like always talking about Captain Power, like can sing the theme song because it was shown on TV in Japan and it had its own like opening theme. It was done by, I, I believe it was uh, Artmic. It was like the Artmic guys, like the same guys who did all the designs for like Megazone 2-3 and like, you know, Macross and like lots of other stuff, like the Mecha Masters. Uh, I don't know who specifically worked on that, but it's definitely the the intro is animated in in, in Japanese in Japan.
So Mattel was always known as like a boys' toy company, and Barbie was a uh, an attempt and a very successful one to branch out into girls' toys. Um, I'm not sure if you're a hundred percent familiar with the history of that, but I actually wrote about this in a newsletter post on my newsletter uh, called Barbie colon not Barbie's colon. I mean like the uh, the particle, the punctuation. Barbie colon an American icon made in Japan. So. If I might, Matt. You may, certainly. So Barbie is the brainchild of a woman named Ruth Handler, who was the one of the co-founders of Mattel, uh, along with her husband and another guy. And she was shopping in Switzerland, as the well-to-do did back in the 1950s, when she encountered this doll made in Germany called Build Lily, B-I-L-D. Have you heard of this? Is that like the build up? Isn't that like one of the Dogram model kits or something like that? The, the dual models? This Oh, and she was a model, all right. She was like this sexy starlet from this kind of naughty German comic strip, newspaper comic strip about this like woman in lingerie who was always like getting, you know, busted for stripping. It was like one of those naughty cartoons that would be like Playboy, like or Penthouse. What is it? Little Annie Fanny. Do you remember you that? Got it. Yeah. Like that kind of, not quite as raunchy as that, but it was, it was naughty. Spicy. Call, it was a little spicy. It was spicy. Yes, it was spicy, like a jalapeno pepper, and uh, or like what's spicy in German food? We have to we have to localize that spicy, Not like a bratwurst, later hosen. I don't know. <laughs> she didn't wear later hosen. She didn't wear much. She was intended for adult collectors uh, who were mainly men reading this comic strip. But when Ruth Handler was in Switzerland, she and her daughter saw the doll, and her daughter, who was a teenager, is like, "Ooh, I want that!" Just as a kind of like you know fun thing to put in her room. Light bulb. Ruth Handler's like, you know what? Girls might want dolls that aren't just babies. At the time, like it was conventional wisdom that the only kind of doll a girl would want to play with or an action figure, for lack of a better word, was a baby uh, because they were, I guess, in training to become mothers. Uh, and Ruth Handler uh, kind of shattered this paradigm by coming up with a doll who was adult. And uh, one of her big things was, of course, to make naughty, naughty, naughty Lily into a much nicer Barbie, because Barbie was intended as an all-American girl. Does that make does that make sense? So this is like 1957, okay? Uh, the year we made contact. No, the year that the Mysterians came out, Matt. So the Mysterians are invading, but you know that's like kind of in another world. So Americans aren't really worried about those kind of battles. It's on the only other happening side of the planet. in Japan, exactly. You know, it's a it's a you know a third world country in their side of the planet. But Ruth Ruth wants to make this doll, but but this is this is there's just one catch, Patrick. Mattel doesn't have any manufacturing ability at this time. They've been making like games and stuff like that. They didn't they didn't have any way to make like figures, action figures. And of course, you know, they don't want to just, you know, buy these Lily dolls. They want to make their own thing. So somebody at Mattel has the bright idea of, hey, there's this country called Japan that has a lot of cheap labor. And so they send a strike team. I made this up. I don't think they called it a strike team of people over to Japan to kind of figure out how they could copy build Lily and make it into the doll that we know and love as Barbie. So it's a fact. Barbie actually was made in Japan. She is not, she's an all American girl, but like in her initial incarnation, she was made in Japan. Did you, did you know? Do you know? That's incredible. And I know now. And the interesting thing to me, we, we can get a little bit more into the details. You know what? Let's get into the details because I'm a detail kind of oriented guy. So they send over a guy who is a injection molding kind of specialist to find a factory to make the, the bodies. And they send over a woman who is a expert seamstress and a fashion designer. Her name is Charlotte Johnson. And she designs all of Barbie's clothing, but she can't 
can't design all of Barbie's clothing. She can't like, you know, make thousands of dresses herself. So she enlists the help of a Japanese woman. And that Japanese woman's name is Fumiko Miyatsuka. Fumiko Miyatsuka. And I know this because Ms. Miyatsuka actually wrote a memoir, like an autobiography that was published around 2011 without much fanfare, but kind of resurfaced during all of the hype about Barbie. And it is this really, really interesting look into the Japanese toy world of the late 1950s. And it turns out that, you know, with this, you know, Charlotte Johnson is, is completely, you know, venerated as the designer of, of Barbie's clothing, but she couldn't have done it without this Japanese woman. And they were working together in a room at the Imperial Hotel. And, you know, some of the designs were come up with by Charlotte. Some of them were come up by Fumiko. But it, it was really a tag team collaboration between Americans and Japanese. And the entire first run of Barbie dolls, in fact, for the entire first decade of Barbie's existence, everything was made in Japan. The dolls were manufactured here. The dresses, they were designed by uh, Charlotte Johnson and, and Fumiko Miyatsuka, but then they were kind of actually manufactured by this army of Japanese seamstresses. And it became a huge hit. But these Japanese collaborators have sort of been written out of Barbie's history. Are you sure this isn't like the old blues musician who claims he wrote all the Beatles songs? Yes, sir. I originated the road. They got it all from me. Every single bit of it. Well, how'd you mean? Well, sir, they come here and they took everything they ever written. The four guys from Liverpool came here. He's lying. I ain't lying. He's always I lying. lying. I ain't lying. Every time there's a documentary on white music around here, he claims he started I did, I did, I did. Last I did. week, he claimed he started the Ebony Brothers, Frank Sinatra, and Lawrence Welch. I did. I He's did. always lying. Yes, or like, or Led Zeppelin songs. Like, wait a second, Led Zeppelin based all of their music off of blues musicians? Well, this is the thing, is there was no place to give credit to these people. I mean, there's no credits for the doll on the back of the package. Right. I feel like to toy making is like usually so anonymous until maybe like the urban vinyl era where people are like really driven to like look for works by certain creators or whatever. No, totally, totally. But the big difference is like Barbie is such an icon. A ton has been written about her and Mattel actually has published a lot of like kind of his histories of how Barbie came to be, both in the form of like their internal, you know, like their kind of corporate documents, but also like in the form of picture books for kids. And like, maybe sometimes Japan gets mentioned as one word, but usually it doesn't get mentioned at all. It's like, it makes it seem like Ruth Handler is like personally sewing each and every one mm -hmm. of the thousands of outfits that, that Barbie wears. And spoiler alert, she shows up in the movie, in the Barbie movie as the, as the creator and the sole, you know, creator and the sole almost manufacturer of Barbie. Wait, so Danny DeVito's wife from Rhea Cheers Perlman. invented the Barbie. Okay, I understand. Well, so the, the Barbie, I actually really liked the Barbie movie. We should talk about this. I actually like, did you like the Barbie movie? Confession, yes, I saw the Barbie movie. I was with two women I went to go see it with, and they were punching me the whole time going, gosh, <laughs> men sure are stupid, aren't they? Ha ha ha. Are you the patriarchy? Is that is that what they were? I always associate you with the patriarchy. Uh, I thought the movie was okay. It wasn't made for me, but you know, I could appreciate the, uh, the art direction, the special effects and that kind of stuff. I love the callbacks to all the old weird Barbie toys from yes. days gone by. I love that kind of toy history angle on it. I mean, I generally do like Greta Gerwig movies and Noah Baumbach movies. So, you know, but I mean, you know, was it, it's like, I'm sure if I took these girls to go see like, you know, G.I. Joe, the movie would be like, hey, wait a minute. All the women here, like Lady Jane and the Baroness. What's up? Right, you know? right, right. Lady Jane. I, there is a Lady Jane, isn't there? I, I'm thinking of Lady Three Jane 
from Neuromancer series. Sorry. I thought it was like one of the most interesting explorations of a toy series. I didn't like play with Barbie growing up. The closest I came was my Bionic Woman doll. Does that count? Does that count? I played with the Bionic Woman. I bet you did. Does that, does it, do you think less of me? Does that make me less of a man? Here's Kenner's Jamie Summers, the Bionic Woman. She's back from remission. And here's the new Bionic Woman dome house with inflatable dome sold separately. A message for Jamie Summers. Steve Austin's coming over. She'll wear her party dress. And wait for Steve on the patio. She's so beautiful. Jamie Summers. Bionic Woman Dome House, new from Kenner. Jamie Summers, the Bionic Woman, sold separately. I actually was nervous as a kid. I was like, oh my God, if my friends see me like combing Jamie Summers' hair or whatever I'm doing. Then again, they had the fembots and those were awesome. Like you could take their faces off and they had like robot parts underneath. I mean, I'm sure Oscar Goldman combed Jamie Summers' hair a few times. I, you so, know, you I'm know, still I disappointed. Like I thought all women had robot parts underneath. And then like when I learned that they were just, you know, flesh and blood like me, it was like a huge letdown. I was, I'm still kind of, you know, traumatized by that. I'm like, oh man. If you can't tear a phone book in two, like, you know, a, a cyber Worktized uh, a bionic woman can. It's just, you know, come on. You know, that's that's what we're aiming for, right? The thing about the Barbie movie is when I saw it in the theater, uh, there were a lot of people actually, but a lot of them were like foreigners. A lot of them were like expats. I would say it was more expats and foreigners than it was Japanese people. Barbie just does not have the cultural cachet. For no. whatever reason, they do sell Barbies in Japan. If you go to a toy store in Japan, it's usually the kind of Barbie knockoff, Lika-chan. And then usually Meru, who's like the baby doll. And those dominate the floor space. I'm so glad you brought up Lika-chan. Lika-chan is the rival of Barbie in, in Japan. And she's made by Takara, who is a totally different company. And there's an interesting story there. So Barbie is made in Japan, but she doesn't really do that well in Japan. She's kind of a femme fatale. She's very like busty. She's wearing this like super high-end American fashion that's like a lot of it's inspired directly by stuff that like Charlotte Johnson and and uh, Fumiko Miyatsuka saw in issues of Vogue magazine. She's just a, just a, just a white girl. <laughs> she's a little bit too, she's a little bit too, I don't know if sophisticated is the word, but just like too, as the Japanese might say, haikara, too high collar uh, for Japanese girls of the era who didn't have a lot of exposure to foreign women at the time. It was really rare for foreigners to be in Japan at the time. In fact, uh, in her autobiography, uh, Fumiko Miyatsuka says that the Mattel staff who she met were the first non-military Americans who she'd ever seen, uh, ever. And this is like a 20-something-year-old woman. When they did find a foreigner, they would immediately put them in a Toho monster movie like Latitude Zero or King Kong Escapes or something like that. Exactly. So, you know, the the way the toy industry worked at the time was that you had, when especially if you were a foreign person doing business in Japan, you had to interact with these big trading companies who would then outsource your work to the actual Japanese manufacturers. Like, you didn't make a deal with the Japanese Japanese toy company, you had to make a deal with like an international trading company. And that's exactly what Mattel did. It was called like, I think it was actually called International Trading Company. It has like the most bland sounding name, but they helped uh, a variety of American firms make toys. Is it like a company that like sells Coke and like missile guidance systems to the third world? It's kind of like, I was expecting them to be like one of those multi, like one of those evil, like multinational, like conglomerates dealing in everything. But no, like they actually only deal in toys. So they outsourced Barbie to all sorts of factories in Japan because that was the only way back in time there weren't like big manufacturing lines back then it was like kind of these family run businesses that each one could handle a part of the process but like when the orders started ramping up you needed to outsource to multiple different little factories
factories. So basically, Mattel sowed the seeds of its own sort of destruction by subcontracting here because all of that know-how went and diffused through the entire Japanese toy industry. How to make a doll, how to make these little tiny clothes in a way that would appeal to girls that wasn't about baby dolls. And it wasn't long before other companies saw this and started to make their own knockoffs of Barbie. One of the first was Nakajima, who you, Patrick, know because they made all the Tekaman toys. Or as he's known on American TV, Techno Man. Techno, is it with a K? Like Tech War? Like William Shatner's Tech War? Is it? No? Yes? No? Maybe so? Anyway. It's with a K, so, yes. So Nakajima is one of the first to come with a knockoff, but the, the most successful is Takara, who comes out with Lika-chan, who is more, she, she seems younger than Barbie. She's definitely more, she's less buxom than Barbie. She's more kawaii than Barbie. I think she has a little bit more anime style eyes. And she doesn't have flaxen blonde hair. She no. looks like a Japanese person. Funny that, how you, how like trying to sell an all Caucasian doll to an Asian land didn't work so well. And I, you know, in, in Mattel and, and, and Barbie's defense, they actually pretty quickly started to make different, you know, ethnicities of, of Barbie dolls. There's like a, I know like an, like an African American, uh, uh, a black doll was pretty early introduced. And then there was a kind of, I've heard it described as ill-fated Mexican one, like a Latino doll that looks like something out of like a Speedy Gonzalez cartoon instead of just like, you know, a normal woman. So they did experiment with that stuff, but they didn't think to make an Asian one. And so Takara won that war pretty handily. So I think if there's like Lickachan the movie, it would do huge here. But Barbie is not like, I think Japanese only know Barbie in terms of it, of her being kind of a symbol of America. That makes sense. That makes absolute sense to me. Again, when I saw it in the theater, it was mostly foreigners and expats yeah. laughing it up and not a lot of Japanese people. And if you tell Japanese people, oh yeah, Barbie movie, they don't, they, they're like, really? Is a Barbie movie? Why don't you want to go see Slam Dunk? It's playing again. What are you talking about? I, I saw it with Hiroko and my wife, and she brought, she liked it a lot too. Like we actually both really liked it, but Hiroko spent a lot of time in America. She didn't grow up with Barbie dolls, but you know, if you spent any amount of time in America, you're going to be familiar with Barbie. You know, the dolls, if you, if you interact with kids, they have the dolls. Aqua's Barbie Girl was on the radio when Hiroko and I were living in the States in the 90s, that sort of thing. But the, she brought up that she thought one of the fundamental issues is that the kind of, unfortunately, Japan is a big step behind the West when it comes to gender equality. And like the make poking fun at the patriarchy in this kind of politicized way in the American movie, I don't know that that really conveyed well to Japanese audiences, especially because the subtitles were a little bit, they didn't use the Japanese sociopolitical term patriarchy. They just used- uh, It's like otoko shakai? Otoko shakai, which is like, it makes it sound like like kind of like a like a boys club or like a boys world. It, it kind of made it seem sillier than patriarchy is. Patriarchy is a pretty heavy word. It could just be interpreted as like the Ken society or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Barbie's not an academic movie. It's a very smart movie, but it's not designed to be that way. So like if you are kind of steeped in American, you know, gender politics and like struggles for equality, it, it makes a lot of sense. But if you still haven't really kind of made those strides, Japan is an otoko shakai in a, in a huge number of ways. It still is a patriarchy in a way that, that it hasn't really wrestled with a lot of these questions as successfully as, as America has. So I think Barbie, that's another reason why Barbie might've felt kind of flat here. You know, it's a man's world. Well, that's some heavy stuff for this podcast. We're getting all Everyone's heavy. busy watching the new Hayao Miyazaki movie, I guess, for the eighth time or something like that. Yes. Well, that did, 
I'm sure that out earned Barbie. I mean, oh, that's it, still number one at the box office, like weeks later. And again, Barbie's like not even, you know, like it's it's pretty much gone. It's pretty much DOA as of this week in Japan. I, yeah, I mean, it's just it's very American, you know. It's a very American film. I think the exact same fate is going to await Oppenheimer when it comes here. Not because Japanese are angry that somebody made a film about Oppenheimer, but it's just like a very triumphalist American narrative. And it it is apparently I haven't seen it yet, so I can't really say anything. I hear it pretty much conveniently omits any discussion of like they just of course they discuss the bomb being dropped on Hiroshima but they don't show it or like you know really touch on that in any way and as you might imagine that's kind of the focus of the Manhattan Project as Japanese people see it hey no spoilers no spoilers Matt come on don't spoil World War II for me, okay? Exactly. Um, no, but the next big Mattel movie coming down the pike, because I read something like in the wake of Barbie's like incredible global box office success. Right. They're green lighting like 40 freaking movies based on toys. So the next one down the pike is going to be Hot Wheels. You know, that's really interesting. Do you know why? Do you know why? Money. A, a Hot Wheels cartoon in 1969 was it became a legal case that set the precedent for the FCC to change their stance on whether you could have what was called host pitching in shows. It was basically, I don't know if it was illegal, but like in the, throughout the, the, the 60s and 70s, you weren't allowed to portray like a licensed product in a show as a character. It was like really frowned upon and the industry self-policed itself. And that that precedent was set when Mattel paid for a Hot Wheels cartoon to be made in, in the late 60s, 1969, I think. And they were kind of, they were sued or it, it, there, was a, there was a legal precedent over this where it was like, no, you can't do that. You can't be the company sponsoring a show that has a toy in it. Now, this is like, now it's like, wait, what? Because this is just the norm. And that was never the case in Japan, which is why so many things that we love about Japan are licensed toy lines. Well, they design the toys first and then make the show after. Exactly. Like say, you know, Voltron, for instance, which literally started with the toy and then became the, the cartoon afterwards. Because that's what you did. Like the Japanese knew, you know, Americans are like, you're brainwashing kids. And like Americans are like, brainwash me, bro. <laughs> I want Voltron. I want the toys. I want a, a toy and a cool cartoon series to go with it. But Hot Wheels actually kind of started that process. Like the, it, it, at first it, it shut it down. And then after Star Wars came out and all of these toy companies are like, wait a second, why is it okay to make, you know, toys of, of characters that are in movies, but we can't do it off ones that are in TV series. And everything changed when Ronald Reagan took office and deregulated the FCC. Are you saying it was a new morning in America, Matt? A morning featuring Rubik the Amazing Cube. Oh, that was one of the first ones. That, you know what the very first, uh, after the FCC was deregulated by Reagan in 81, 82, one of the very first shows, America had nothing. We had like nothing in the pipeline. I don't think American toy companies were ready for it. The very first one is Hanna-Barbera's Pac-Man. We had to lean very heavily on Japanese IP to get our entire licensed kind of like media mix off the ground in the 80s. That explains why I'm completely strung out on Pac-Man vitamins, even to this day. Or Pac-Man cereal, chomp, chomp, delicious. Actually, Pac-Man cereal, isn't that where Christian Bale got his start? He was the pitch man for Pac-Man cereal, the uh, commercial for it. We're just a fount of trivia, aren't we? Well, Mattel is going to go hard into the movies based on toys, so I'm going to be hoping and praying 
to Dark Gods that a Shogun Warriors will finally get the Shogun Warriors movie yes. that we so richly deserve. It's in the Marvel Extended Universe. Didn't they like fight Fantastic Four? They, I believe they did. They sure did. There were a lot of crossovers when the Marvel comics came out. And so those, those Marvel comics are actually what you had to do in the 70s. There was no point in licensing the cartoons for broadcast on American TV because you couldn't put commercials for the toys in that framework. Do you know what I'm saying? So the only way to get your IP off the ground in the States back then was to pay Marvel, which is why you had those like Micronauts comics. There were so many of them. Rom, Rom the Space Knight. Far, far away in another galaxy, the Knights of the Soul Star Order, defenders of justice and truth, have been ambushed by the evil magicians, the Diaries. The Soul Star Order has prevailed and are now seeking out their scattered enemies. One of these knights has followed the trail of the dire wraiths all the way to Earth. This one the dire wraiths fear more than all others. This one has hounded them and kept them underground for centuries. This one alone could wipe them off the face of creation. He is Rom, Lord of the Soul Star Order. Rom, the Wraith Slayer. Rom, the Space Knight. Even he must be careful. The diaries can assume any form they wish. Rum counters this with the energy analyzer. With it, he can see through appearances and determine the true essence of any being. Rum also has a weapon unique to his order, the neutralizer, which can disorganize any molecular structure. He has rocket pods, which can instantly send him soaring. He has a translator through which he can communicate with any intelligent being in the universe. And his respirator allows him to breathe in any atmosphere. Rom, Lord of the Soul Star Order. Rom, the Wraith Slayer. Rom, the Space Knight. The microelectronic creation from Parker Brothers. Yes, that, that commercial is so is so sinister sounding. I still want a ROM, damn it. Who made ROM? Was that like Remco or someone? No, like it was that? like Parker Brothers. Parker Brothers, the makers of Sorry. Sorry. Who are those brothers? Are they still are they still around? The brothers. The brothers. <laughs> yeah, I always think of them as a board game company, but man, ROM. ROM brought it. Although I think ROM almost broke them. I think there were so many unsold ROMs that it kind of like almost did them in. ROM was big. Movie. He looked he, ROM kind of looks like if you know if Barbie had a powered suit. Like it would kind of be Rom. Would you agree with that? Well, you don't. You don't know that Rom's not a woman underneath that armor. It's like it's like Samus Aran from from Metroid. It could be a woman. Rom he, Rom has those like thigh high boots, those kinky boots and stuff. Rom will always be a woman to me. Well, it's the Shogun Warriors movie. That's what I'm holding out for. So I'm going to say Idris Elba as Raidine, Rinko Kikuchi as Combatler, and maybe The Rock <laughs> as Dangard Ace. That's my dream cat. I should say that what Patrick was saying earlier about like 50 different movies coming out based on Mattel IP, it's, if anything, an understatement. There's an amazing article in The New Yorker from a couple of weeks ago, not one written by me, uh, but by somebody else. But it's talking about that. It talks about all of the different, they like Mattel. Mattel is now like hyper, hyper aggressive about developing all of their IP into movies. And they've actually hired, or they had, I think with the strike going on right now, this isn't happening. They hired writers to come in and write spec scripts, like multiple spec scripts on like every single, like they're digging in the, like Betsy Wetsy, you know, the doll that like you feed it like milk and it pees. Like they're, they're like making, how on earth are you going to develop that into a, the mind boggles, Patrick? Yeah, I'm telling you, dude, Captain Power. 
four. Let's get like a 12 episode series. Can I just say, can I just say Jace and the Wheeled Warriors? That's all you got to say. That's all. You, I see dollar signs. It's raining. It's raining paper all of a sudden, Matt. Mic drop. Jace and the Wheeled Warriors. I love that series. It was like humans in trucks and then like brains, like the enemy were like these brains in trucks. Like, and then you would stack and attack, I believe. Stack and attack. I like the sound of that. Did you like that? It was, that was Animu too. That's definitely J. Michael Straczynski, by the way. That's definitely, maybe you, and composed by, are you ready? Are you ready for the composers, Patrick? I'm ready, yeah. Shuki Levy. Uh, Heim Saban. Yes, yes. Our, the dream team. The dream, now God, this makes you want to, can we can we hear the Jason the Wheeled Warriors opening theme, please? Performed by Shuki Levy. Just for you, we're going to play the Jason the Wheeled Warriors. Not the Turbo Teen theme. We'll save that for the next episode. Thundering across the stars to save the universe from the monster minds. Jace searches for his father to unite the magic root and lead his lightning league to victory over the changing form of Sawboss. Wheeled warriors explode into battle. Lightning strikes. There's a power that comes from deep Well, Matt, we've had a lot of fun today on Pure Tokyo Scope, but there's nothing funny about the Otoko Shakai. To defeat the Otoko Shakai, Patrick. We should we should dig through the we can dig through the Mattel play box, the toy box, to find things. They, they did the power glove. The power glove will let us knock down the Otoko Shakai. Can we play with power, Matt? Are we ready to play with power? Can we stack and attack the the Otoko no Shakai? I'm not, I'm kind of a failed Otoko. You know, I don't I don't really consider myself part of the patriarchy. Although maybe that's part of the problem. Are you a herbivore man? Shoshoku Danshi? I'm laying down like a like a Chinese, uh, like a young person in, in mainland China is to protest the regime. That's me, man. That's me. Sorry. Well, you know, that, that's uh, this is this you'll you'll find me in the in the time in between now and whenever we record the next episode, combing, lovingly combing uh the bionic woman's hair. That's that's my that's as close as I'm coming to Barbie. But I love the movie, I love the toy line, I love anything that's a toy. So it was really cool to talk about it today. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Thanks for being you. Well, thanks for being here, Matt. I really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone who listens to our show, who supports our show, who follows what we do. We do it all for you. So thanks so much to everyone for listening and we'll catch you all next time. See you next time. (laughs) 